0: Good morning. Good morning. It's so great to be here with you this morning. I've got my little hanky with me today because it just might get a little toasty up here for me in just a few minutes. Uh, what a powerful story some of you can identify. Uh, for the next several weeks, we're going to be highlighting different stories of people in our church and what Jesus has done in their life and in their lives and in their marriages, whether it's God giving people hope post-divorce, or in the middle of depression, or in the middle of something that just feels impossible, whether it's addiction, all the different things that we find ourselves trapped with, Jesus changes everything. He still does. He's not done. And that's great news for us this morning, isn't it? Amen? If this is your first time here, you've heard it a bunch of times already, but we're so glad that you're here. And, and I don't know, I, I was... I was writing on my communication card, so in case it didn't get mentioned, I want to make special mention of it today, that if this is your first time here and you have that orange communication card and you didn't drop it in the offering basket, that outside we have a little guest services table for you and we would love to connect with you and we have a gift for you uh, that we would love to give you just for being here on Easter today. Uh, It's a great day to worship together. Guys, do this. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Mark Chapter 16, if you're using your phone or if you're using an actual Bible itself, a paper Bible, Mark chapter 16, it's the last chapter in the book of Mark. And as you do, I, I want to tell you a little bit about Easter in, in my house growing up. I, I, you know, I grew up going to church in St. Louis, Missouri, uh, and I don't actually have a whole lot of church memories <laughs> regarding Easter. And that's not to say that we didn't go to church on Easter. I promise you we did. I remember putting on my Sunday best, but I don't have any defining service moments with youth group or with my parents in that regard. I always remember the things after and around uh, the Easter service. Does anybody go out to eat anywhere, especially like a buffet with grandma and grandpa and mom and dad? Anybody do that, you know, growing up? Nobody? Raise your hand if you used to go to an Easter buffet somewhere. Some of you are going there today. Wow, so few hands grew up. This is something that we always did. Either that or we would go to my, grandpa, my grandparents' house and my grandma would cook. And she would rock that Easter. Raise your hand if grandma would rock that Easter meal. Okay, so now we got a little, little bit more something happening here. Amen, Amen to that. I remember, I remember going out into the living room of our little house as a kid. This is a, a special memory for me. And, you know, we had this blue couch with, it was like a floral print. I mean, it was the 80s. And my mom had gone all over Timbuktu to get our Easter baskets full, right? And this was in the prime of Star Wars. And she had finally found that Ewok action figure for me on Easter. Mom, if you're listening to this podcast, thank you for making Easter so special. I know I was supposed to be thinking of Jesus, but instead I was celebrating Star Wars Okay, good times. Let's be holy this morning. Can we do that? Let's do that. Guys, it's a great day for a lot of reasons. When we talked to our children about Easter last night, Christmas is always that, that holiday that seems to overshadow Easter in the eyes of a child especially as it pertains to faith, and my children were no different. Easter is special, but isn't Christmas the big deal? And that's not to say that Jesus being born isn't a big deal, but Jesus being born doesn't have the significance of Jesus being born without Jesus defeating sin and death and rising from the grave on the third day. And so you have the cradle of the baby and the cross of the king, but neither the cradle or the cross hold the power of the resurrection. And that's why what happens on Easter Sunday has such power and such significance. That's not to say that Christmas isn't amazing or or Jesus being born or all the moments or even Good Friday isn't a special day. It is, but none of them hold the miraculous nature that they really hold without Jesus Christ rising from the grave. without the resurrection. All the other things are emptied Of their significance. And so when we speak of Easter. This is the most significant day. In the life of any Christian. Around the world. And on Easter Sunday. I mean there are millions of people. Worshipping today. Around the world. And they're worshiping the same thing. Jesus Christ. Our risen king. And our risen savior. Amazing moment. So let's read the account today. We're just going to prime the pump and we're going to, uh, this moment, we're going to fix our eyes and our hearts on a risen king. Mark chapter 16, 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Siloam bought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus's body. Who was crucified he has risen he is not here see the place where they laid him but go tell his disciples and Peter he is going ahead of you into Galilee there you will see him just as he told you trembling and bewildered the women went out and fled from the tomb they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid Every gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, has the account of Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. But I love the way Mark tells it in Mark chapter 16. If you're new to church or new to faith, and you're kind of just inquiring, and you want to even start reading the Bible, I always encourage people to start with the book of Mark. It's just 16 chapters, and it reads like an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. There's just action, action, action. There's all kinds of things happening. It's compact in sixteen chapters. And here we have Jesus being raised from the grave, and I love the questions that are asked because I am a question asker. I am I'm from Missouri. If you if you know the slogan about Missouri, it's the "Show Me" state, meaning show me, as in like prove it. Doubting Thomas would have been my I mean, he's my bro in the Bible because I would have been that guy who's like, okay, all y'all are a little bit crazy. Unless I see him with my own eyes, I don't know that I can buy this. And here we have two women going to anoint Jesus. And I love that there are questions being asked And the first question. It's a great question is, man, that stone is really big. We didn't really think about this how are we even going to get inside the tomb and who's going to roll the stone away? Do you ever just have questions for God because you're just not sure how things are going to work out? And you need God to just show up or you need the circumstances to just change? How is this big old rock going to move from my life, this scenario, in this situation? I love that the resurrection story, even before we see Jesus interacting, we see questions being asked, and the gospel isn't afraid of really difficult questions. Jesus isn't afraid of your questions. How is this going to happen? I don't know. But would you trust him? And keep walking towards the resurrection. Start walking towards that empty tomb. And then they get to the tomb. And it's not necessarily a question, but you're going to understand what's happening here in just a second. They see an angel dressed in white. Jesus isn't anywhere to be seen. And understandably, the first thing out of the angel's mouth is, don't be alarmed. Now, Maybe you haven't been afraid before, or, or let me rephrase that. Maybe you haven't been afraid in a while of somebody that you're around. But everybody knows that feeling. You're, you're leaving a store. It's late at night, and you're walking to a car, but somebody's walking kind of to, a little too close to you, and you kind of have the side-eye moment where you're just, you know, you have your keys handy just in case you need to throat jab somebody, right? Because you're just not quite sure how, you know, this, this it's probably going to be fine but I'm not entirely sure. So I have the key sticking out, you know, from, you know, be- between the two fingers because see, ah, you just never know. You just never know. That's right, you're pastor. I'm not condoning violence today. I'm just letting you know, sometimes you gotta protect yourself. <laughs> Amen to that. You, everybody knows, you know, just kind of that feeling of that person looks a little suspicious. And the angel understands that the, that the women that walk into the tomb They weren't sure how the stone was going to get rolled away, but the stone is rolled away already, and they walk in, and there's a brother sitting there, glowing in white, and he has to say, don't be alarmed, because is this going to go bad? I don't know. I don't know what's happening next. In other words, can I trust you? Are you trustworthy? Is this safe right now? Because I don't see Jesus anywhere. And I don't know how I feel about this, and I don't know how I feel about you. Don't be alarmed. And then the angel says something that I love, and it speaks to me because this, it's a little bit how I feel God has wired me. He says, see? See the place where they laid him? In other words, look for yourself. We're going to the tomb, and we don't know how the tomb is, The stone is going to be rolled away. And surprise, the stone has been rolled away. And now we walk inside, and I don't know what's going to happen with this guy standing next to me. But he's comforting me with his words. And the next thing out of his mouth is, see, look where they laid him. There are so many questions that are being answered, even though they aren't being vocalized. Is this a trusting situation? Can I trust you? God, how are you going to do this? How is this, this going to work out? I don't understand how one plus one is going to equal two. Where is Jesus? You're telling me that he's risen? Look for yourself and see. This is where they laid him. Here's the cloths that he was... These are, these are the burial clothes he was buried in. Look. His body's not here. You search for the living among the dead. Now go and tell the disciples, oh, and tell someone specifically. I love that someone gets a specific shout out here, and it's Peter. Peter, the one who's denied Jesus three times, the angel specifically says, go Tell the disciples, but also go tell Peter, because Peter isn't with the disciples right now. Peter's dealing with rejection and shame, and I promise you questions in his own soul. Has, is, is God even real? Was Jesus really who he said he was? Has God rejected me because of my denial of Jesus? How can he accept me because of my shame? And my guilt and my, my betrayal of Jesus. Jesus isn't afraid of your questions. And I can promise you, sitting here this morning, some of you have some big questions. He isn't afraid of your heartaches or your pains. He's not afraid when you're mad and you're frustrated and you're disappointed. Now, I can promise you the implications for the resurrections, they are great upon all the things that I just listed. But sometimes we feel like we can't be real with God, where somehow you can't just share where you are with him in relationship, these questions that you really have. But at High Point and at our church, I want you to know something, that this is a place where you can ask hard questions, where you can be allowed to sit and grow at your own pace where you can wrestle with doubt and fear and not feel condemned or shamed. That's not to say that I don't fully believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that Jesus didn't rise from the grave. I believe that he did. But I also understand that sometimes there is a lot of pain in our heart and a lot of questions deep down that we are asking God to meet us in. And I believe that he will. He will. And I believe that he does. Turn to the book of John, chapter 20. Our good friend Thomas, doubting Thomas. Verse 24 through 29, one of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. That had to be really encouraging. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I won't believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Can we just stop for a minute, and and let me just encourage you. There are things in your own life that I promise you are locked up that you don't want to give to God, that you don't want to let anybody in on, and you have the key, you've turned it, and you've thrown it out. And I want you to know that even though there are places of great pain that you don't want to trust God with, if you will just allow Him to, He will move right past the places that are locked in your heart, and He will minister to the deepest, most painful, most betrayed places, the places you don't sometimes even want Him to. I promise you, it will be the greatest decision You will ever make to surrender your will to Jesus and let him minister to you, to speak to you, to encourage you. I don't care if you're 14, 44, or 94. There are places that we lock up all the time. And Jesus, if you are inviting him to, will come right in. He'll heal your heart. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I love serving and worshiping a Jesus who's not afraid of my hard questions. I'm thankful that he doesn't force me to have everything figured out. And this morning, here we are worshiping Jesus. And some of you are here because you know you're supposed to be at church on, you're supposed to be at church on Easter Sunday. It's tradition, it's what you do. Some of you are here because mom and dad dragged you to church today. Some of you are here because you have been pounded with religion and the shilt, the the shilt, the shame and guilt. We're just going to combine those two words today. Almost sound like a cuss word, didn't it? Whoa, 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 whoa. boy, that would have been a crazy Easter. Oh my, the shilt and the guilt and shame did it again. Did it again. Just trying to save time this morning. The guilt and shame of not showing up at church on Easter. Right? You know what it's like. Maybe you grew up going to church, and you just couldn't dream of not. You're the creaster, Christmas and Easter, you know. I want to give you five reasons this morning to believe. And I'm not going to spend forever on them. But we're going to appeal to some of the intellect, you know, in this room today, because I believe that Jesus, just like Thomas, he gives you reasons to believe. And there are things that you now can rest on, that you are sure in your faith upon. And when the winds come and the storms come to blow you in your life, you can rest in confidence that Jesus is who he says he is, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that Jesus rose from the grave. And because those things are true, I can look at these situations in my life. I can look at the enemy working in my life and say, back up, back off. I serve a risen king. And he has given me the victory. Yeah. We're going to start with the empty tomb this morning. Actually, we're going to start with Jesus' very existence. Did you know today, church, that it is a verifiable fact that Jesus lived and existed? There, it's not up for debate. And anybody who would somehow try to bring an intelligent argument is, in fact, unintelligent. If you have a professor at college who says that it still is on the fence as to whether Jesus is real, it's not. And the reality is that the the most valid sources of his existence and proof do not come from Christians, which adds to the strength and validity of his existence. The life of Jesus is attested to by more extra-biblical sources and non-Christian authors than any other person in ancient history. If we're going to believe that Julius Caesar is real and we can rest on the credibility of that fact and statement then we must also apply the same standards to that of Jesus's life we know that he's real Pliny the younger a historian Roman historian who talks about Jesus Christus and the riot that took place you have uh, Tacitus you have Josephus Tiberius Phallus and Joseph, I already said Josephus. All of these men and women, might I add, I didn't even put them in there, who have documented Jesus' very life and the impact he began to have on the Roman Empire. You can read about it yourself. I'm not making it up. We know that Jesus existed, and that gives me reason to potentially believe in what's coming next. Number one, we know that he existed. And we also know, number two, that he was executed. We know that Jesus died. It's recorded in historical documents. We know that he died the death of a criminal. We understood the riots that began to take place in the empire. We also understand the the salacious rumors of his resurrection and his body that went missing. We know that Jesus was crucified. We know that he died. And you need to understand that it's not that Jesus somehow was pulled off of the cross and he was still a a little bit alive and they whisked him away and resuscitated him and he wasn't actually dead and that's why, you know, things began the way it began. Nope, that isn't true. Romans were experts in torture and execution. No one was better. And when they executed Jesus, they put him to death. They put a sword in his side to ensure the end of his life. Journal of American Medical Association literally verified the manner in which Jesus died, and said there is no possible way that a human being could survive that and come out alive. Jesus died. We also have reason to believe in the empty tomb. His body was taken down and placed in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. He was not only buried, but his tomb was empty three days later. If the Romans had his body, they would have produced it immediately. Why? Because the last thing they want is an insurrection taking place. They don't want faith in Jesus as king. And the disciples began to share what happened in the middle of the city. It would have been easiest in the city of Jerusalem to disprove that Jesus was in fact alive, but they could not do it. And the stone would have been rolled over the tomb and a wax seal, Pontius Pilate would have been stuck around the tomb as a manner of sealing it. And what would have taken six to seven men to roll the stone away, that stone was rolled away. In the midst of two guards being there. And the voice that attested to it first were women. I want you to hear this, church. If you're ever thinking, if you want to discredit the story of Jesus you would have created an airtight point of view, an airtight testimony. And at this time, the last person you would have put in place to give testimony of Jesus in the empty tomb were two women. That's actually discrediting you in terms of of validating your testimony. But the fact that they did and the fact that it's written in the scriptures is their devotion to recording the truth of what actually took place. We know that Jesus existed. We know that Jesus was executed. And we believe that the tomb was empty and there is credible evidence to support it. The strongest support of jesus resurrection in the are eyewitnesses who claim they saw Jesus, Peter, disciples, and five hundred other people i 'll claim that they saw a risen, Lord. Transformative experience was so great that it reoriented lives and homes, and vocations, and comfort, and safety, all for the simple stated truth that Jesus had risen from the dead and was the Savior of the world. Why persist in such a lie? What do you have to gain? Why persist in such an untruth when it can cost you your very life? It doesn't make sense, does it? Lastly, the emergence of the church. Similar to the last one. Jesus dies. Comes back from the grave. And then commissions his disciples to go and make disciples. To go be a force that will change the planet and change the world. And they prayed together. They ate together. They shared their possessions together. They met needs together. They experienced miracles together. And were the church together. What could account for a love of others and each other so fierce that it would become the greatest force in human history? What can account for that? What transformative moment would light a fire so raging in the hearts of men and women that they would literally die for it, that they would give all they have for it, They would shout it from the rooftops that a man named Saul would would literally, as he's going to persecute and kill Christians, have an encounter with a risen king, and it would reorient his life so much that he'd become the most prolific preacher in human history. Unless it were true. Dr. James Francis writes it like this. It says, Jesus was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. Until he was 30, he worked in a carpenter shop. And then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He wrote no books. He held no office. He never owned a home. He was never in a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He never did any of the things that usually accompany greatness. The authorities condemned his teachings. His friends deserted him. One betrayed him to his enemies for a paltry sum. One denied him. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. His executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth while he was dying, his coat. And when he was dead, he was taken down and placed in a borrowed grave. And 20 centuries later, 20 centuries have come and gone, yet today he is the crowning glory of the human race, the adored leader of hundreds of millions of the earth's inhabitants, and all the armies that have ever marched, and all the navies that have ever sailed, and all the parliaments that have ever sat and gathered and ruled and reigned, none of them have affected the life of man upon this earth so profoundly as that one solitary life named Jesus Christ. We serve a risen king, and his resurrection has changed everything. It has transformed everything, not because it's a pipe dream, but because it is true. And millions upon millions upon millions of really intelligent people, might I add, have put their faith in a risen king, and Jesus Christ has transformed them from the inside out. Millions and millions of poor people rich people, people involved in politics, people in medicine, people in science, moms, dads, families, single people, divorced people, children. He is not a discriminator of people. He changes everything, and he changes everyone. The scriptures say in 1 Corinthians 15, 54, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? You have nothing to fear. Even your questions themselves, while they may not be answered, while you may not have answers to everything that you need, you can still begin to walk towards the empty tomb. You can still begin A relationship with Jesus Christ, even though you don't fully grasp all of it. He is not afraid of such things. And Paul writes, thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Let nothing move you. Let nothing move you. Now you might be sitting here today. And maybe you came because it's tradition. Maybe you came because you saw a banner on a fence. Or something on Instagram or on Facebook. Maybe you came because somebody invited you. Maybe you came in with some doubts. Maybe you heard enough to say, you know what, I believe. Or maybe you're still struggling with some things. Or maybe you're sitting here this morning and you do believe in Jesus. And you do believe in the resurrection. But you still find yourself struggling with different things in your life. That you're just trying to see. You you want to see God overcome. You're wanting to see his victory in. You're going to see some people who are setting some things up for you because we're going to have a, an actual uh, a moment where you can participate in the victory of Jesus in your life today. Where, O oh, death, is your sting? You might have heard before that, that Easter Sunday is the death of death. And I love that. The death of Death. Now track with me for just a moment. The worship team is going to be getting ready. There are some canvases that are going to be set up on some easels. Fear not. You're going to see a lot of people here in just a moment. But on Easter Sunday, Jesus Christ is in the business of overcoming our doubts. But it's not just our doubts that he's in the business of overcoming. Jesus Christ overcomes your fear. He overcomes your stress, your anxiety, your sin, your addiction. He overcomes depression, discouragement, hopelessness. He overcomes bitterness and unforgiveness and hatred and rage. He overcomes racism, church. He overcomes racism, church, and, and the different tensions that exist between people groups. He is an overcoming God. And we can stand in confidence today that he is in fact the risen king because of the very things that we talked about in brief mentioned today. Brief. We can have confidence because we know Jesus existed. Yeah. That he was executed. That the tomb was empty. There were eyewitnesses, and there was an unbelievable, incredible emerging church. Because of those things, I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And if Jesus is, in fact, who he says he is, and he is, in fact, the overcoming, risen king, then none of these things hold a candle to the power of my Jesus. Yeah. None of these things hold a candle to a risen Savior. All power is in his hands. Yes. Do you understand that, church? That on this Easter Sunday, if Jesus is who he says he is, then all of these things have to bow at his feet. Mm. If all of the if Jesus is who he says he is, then everything must yield to the kingship and reign of the true King of Kings and the true Prince of Peace. why would people give their life and reorient everything to follow him because jesus christ had given them true peace and true life and they had nothing to fear anymore church i want to i want to encourage you even as you came up today and you you put a little paint on the canvas Maybe it was something that you know you actually deal with. Maybe you were just figuratively applying the the blood of Jesus to something that you know He has the power to overcome. Whatever it might be, let me remind you of the words of Paul that the victory of Jesus is yours. Now let nothing move you. Let nothing move you. Don't let hopelessness move you. Don't let fear grip you. Don't let despair have its have its weight upon you. Don't let greed Work its number on you. No, you remind yourself that if Jesus Christ is who he says he is, that all of these things and then some have to bow at the feet of our King and our Messiah and our Savior and our Lord. Remind yourself who he is and let nothing move you today. We serve a great God. Church, I'd be amiss this morning if I didn't give you an opportunity. Even just respond. You may believe all these things are true, but you still may need a moment where you just give your heart to Jesus. And as we're standing here this morning, I want to invite you to pray this with me. If you're standing here and you say, I need Jesus to be my king and I need him to be my Lord. Right where you are, say, Jesus, I thank you that you are my king. And I give you my life today. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and make me new. I thank you that you change everything. And this morning, I give you everything to change. And if you're sitting here this morning and you just need God to refresh you, ask him. Say, Jesus, I thank you that you're true and real. Would you encourage me right now? You give me hope as I choose to follow you all the days of my life. It's in your name we pray. Amen.